we don't have time for this. We'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where we make this podcast, the Garigal and the Garamangal people. We pay our respects to all First Nations elders, past, present and emerging. Besties gather round and join us for a DNM. No more surface chat, let's dive in deep with Rose and Gem. It's time for a DNM. Hello and welcome to DNM. You're the special besties. Yes. You're the very best of the besties. And we're excited to have you here. We're so excited to have you here. Guys, we're going to be deep diving. Yep. Because what else is a DNM? If you don't go deep exactly. and or meaningful. meaningful. <laughs> For any of our international listeners, I think this might be an Aussie term, DNM. No. I think it is. For reals? So when we were in high school, we would be like, oh, just had the most epic DNM with Jim. And it meant deep and meaningful. It's when you have a really long, deep, examinatory. Mm-hmm. Is that a word? Yeah, examinatory. We'll roll with that chat about a particular topic look it's usually a boy so this is the space to really focus on one idea one concept and like really hash it out yes we're we're talking full unpacking all the undies and socks out of the suitcase we're laying it all bare we're also deals gonna do a little bit more research yeah sometimes revs and i jump on (laughs) a little bit ill-prepared googling on the spot there's not gonna be any of that happening no we're gonna actually have a think yes (laughs) about what we want to talk about so we can really really get into the dusty corners of these topics some of these things you will have already heard us talk about on our regular show should we give a little preview yes We're going to get into lots of different topics, things we would normally talk about, but really go deeper on them. Things like all the relationship stuff, mental load, pregnancy, dating, marriage, breakups, breakups, heartbreak. I want to deep dive in sleeping in separate beds. Yes. We want to hear much more about the how to's, the how not to's, the why, the The where, could you, the where, that's a good one. The where, the where, the who, the how, the why. Yes. And what it means for your marriage, all of that stuff. We don't want surface chat. Not that we do surface chat in our reg eps, but we just need a space for those of you who want to go deep. Yeah. For those who really want to go deep. And today's episode, mm-hmm. we are throwing ourselves head and heart first into all things heartbreak. <gasps> heartbreak. It's a biggie. It's a biggie. Now, I just want to clarify, this isn't breakups with your friends. Mm-hmm. And it's not heartbreak in the sense of the grief of losing a loved one. No. Someone who has passed. This is romantic heartbreak. Romantic, heart-crushing, soul-shaking heartbreak. Yeah. So Revs and I, we've both been through heartbreak. Yeah. We've experienced the depths of it. I call it the time that I hit rock bottom. 100%. It's very real for me and very real for you too. Yeah. We've both had like some really profound, intense heartbreak. Uh, one each, I'd say. Yep. One major heartbreak each. And we held each other through them. Yep. So we were there for each other. So hoping we can kind of have perspective on our own and each other's heartbreak. Absolutely. And I've got some tips to share. Oh, good. Do you know what's funny, Revs? <laughs> It's it's funny to (laughs) like the fact that I started a sentence with, you know, what's funny while we're in this episode of heartbreak is I wrote a blog. Do you remember remember. my blogging days? I remember when you were a blogger. You were one of the OGs, baby. (laughs) 
So DLs, if you didn't know, once upon a yesteryear, I had a blog called Gemma Peanut Gallery and it was actually designed for travel. Mm-hmm. And a bit of fashion. Bit of fashion. I know there was a bit of fashion. It was like a travel fashion lifestyle blog. Yeah, but that's when I had revenge bod. Oh, Yeah, it was right, my right, right. post-breakup revenge bod. Mm-hmm. Not intentional revenge bod. No. Reds has talked about this. Breakup bod Stress, is a thing. anxiety, breakup bod. Mm-hmm. Low self-esteem. <clears throat> <laughs> But I did a post and I've got it in front of me. Oh and my it's God. So retro. Can you read vibes. it? Yes. Wait, Do wait. You- Nothing is more humbling than reading like an earnest piece of writing you've written. <laughs> first of all, like what, 10 years ago? Yeah, a long ass time ago. And also in the depths of heartbreak. Okay. Hit yeah. Me. I wrote this not long after I experienced it. Very vulnerable of me to yeah, put this out there. Good on you. So, first of all, <laughs> the photo. Oh. <laughs> what is it? Give us a visual. I'm dying. Do you want to show me? If I'm going to show Revs, and Revs can dis- can describe the photo. I don't want you to see the title because okay, we'll talk I about read that in the a title. second. But that oh is- no. Oh, dear. <laughs> okay, DLs. Um, Gem is sitting cross-legged on a beach. Yep. It's shot from above, so we can see her legs across. She's wearing some active wear. She's sitting on sand. So if you imagine it's like a bird's, bird's eye, eye view, sort of over the shoulder. Over the shoulder, shot. looking down at her lap. She's got her legs crossed on the sand. She, her hands are cupped meaningfully together. There looks like there's some sort of like bracelets there, some like beaded oh, yeah. wish bracelets. Uh, look, I, I went into all kinds of woo-woo. Yes. And in her cupped hands is a scrap piece of paper with a red heart drawn on it. She's holding her heart. heart. <laughs> Oof, it's, it's powerful. There's also a dog paw Is print it? there. Why, why didn't you Photoshop that out? Come on. <laughs> Attention to detail. Is it powerful or profoundly cheesy? It's heartbroken behaviour. Yeah, it is. You're it's right. It's heartbroken behaviour. Yeah, look, none of us are at our best selves <laughs> when we're in the depths of heartbreak. You're not wrong. <laughs> Shall we get to the title of this blog post what did you name that this? baby gem shared once oh, upon a time baby gem it's called eight steps oh no <laughs> i got real specific eight steps to heal a broken heart wait for it oh there's more brackets oh the right way oh <laughs> we need to unpick this first of all why eight <laughs> you came up with eight them, I must have only had eight. Cast your mind back to the blog days. It was clickbaity to be like, 10 ways to get over him tomorrow. On <laughs> GP clickbaity. But the brackets, the right way. The right as if way. to imply that there is a wrong way to heal a broken heart. Yes, well, we all did look to Guru Jem, Gemma Peanut Gallery, to teach us life lessons. She was, after all, a, a good 25 years old or something. <laughs> Full of wisdom. What a wank. What a wank. Okay, I have a confession to make. Mm. And this is smug young Jem talking. Mm -hmm. The reason why I felt smug enough and enough of a martyr to write the right way in brackets is because six months to me experiencing my devastating heartbreak, a girlfriend of mine went through her very own near identical heartbreak. Now, if you can imagine when she was going through this, I was like, thank God that's not me. Mm. And then fast forward six months later, I found myself in exactly the same situation as her. Our recovery response, how we dealt with heartbreak could not have been more different. And I wonder if I owe it to that friend, actually, as a thank you, because I learned... (laughs) Was she in brackets the wrong way? (laughs) (laughs) Look... 
To put it bluntly, <laughs> my girlfriend is going to listen to this yeah, for yeah. sure and she'll know it's her and she'll be fine with it. I love you, Amy. <laughs> she was very self-destructive. Oh, okay. And I helped nurse a very self-destructive friend mm-hmm. and when it happened to me, the first thing I thought was I have to do it differently. Yep. Because I have to be my own best friend mm-hmm. because I felt like at that time when she was going through it, I was her bestie yep. trying to guide her and give her advice when I had no experience yeah. of what she was going through. And now 36-year-old Jem doesn't judge her mm. because recovery from heartbreak is not linear. No. And there is no right way, Gemma no. Peanut Gallery, you <laughs> smug bitch. Everyone will respond differently. But I have learned a few things to do it perhaps a better way sure <laughs> do you know what with all these things you're right there's no right way no there isn't and there's no and it's very personal and yep. if you need to be self-destructive there's probably a reason why you need to be self-destructive you know yes. maybe you were very restricted in that relationship and you need to shake it off in a and really lash out and lash out and be rebellious in, a, in you know there's everything has a root cause and a need we don't do things in a vacuum right but hearing other people's experiences especially in topics like this mm-hmm. it's just comforting 100 percent. yeah and I just want to hark back to my friend again mm. because fast forward many many years later she's in a really good place yeah and with the person that she should have ended up with yep. but she had to go through that devastating heartbreak mm-hmm. she had to go through that intense self-destructive behavior in order to swing the pendulum in the other way to right the wrongs yeah and right and wrong is obviously the wrong language around it, but to rediscover herself. And know what she wants. And most importantly, she had to fall back in love with her. Yeah. Because that Mm self-destruction, the undercurrent, Mm -hmm. the inference of all of that was self-loathing. Yeah. And I get that. Yeah. And my journey, I actually didn't experience any self-loathing at all. Because I felt very righteous in Uh, how I was in the relationship. Yes. So I didn't self-loathe at all, but I definitely lost my self-worth because I felt discarded, Mm. kicked to the curb. Yeah. You're not of any value to me anymore. Mm Yada, yada, yada. We're going to talk about our beautiful beast of a friend, body image. Now... Body image comes up a lot on our show. It comes up a lot between you and me. Big time. It's something that we as women all live with one version or another. I would say we all at some stage of our lives have obsessed over it. Absolutely. And for some of us, we almost can't remember a time where we didn't think about it. It's been with us that long. We've done a few episodes on this and told our own personal stories, but I think it would be good to sort of give an overview of where each of us are at in terms of body image. But before we get into that, I've done some research, Gem. Oh my God, we've researched. I've done some research. I'm really proud of us. By we, I mean me. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it would be good to sort of like define what body image is because Mm. it's, you know, sometimes you just start throwing these things around and you really have to look again at what it means. Yeah. And terms, honestly, with the interweb, Mm -hmm. they take on a new form and a new shape and a new meaning. And sometimes terms can get hijacked and converted into something else. So tell me, Revs. What is the actual baseline definition of body image? Body image is a combination of the thoughts and the feelings that you have about your body. 
So that's why when they describe someone as having positive body image, mm-hmm. they are exercising, would you say, good self-love? Exercising the tricky word to use in that oh, context. Oh, that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah, I would say like I have positive body image means like I feel good about my body. I have a positive mindset. Yeah. My thoughts and my feelings about my body are positive. Mm. Now it says here body image is influenced by internal and external environment factors. Very important. So you have your own sense of body image and then you also can be very easily influenced by the environment around you. Ooh, that's a big juicy topic because we all grew up in the magazine era yeah. where we only saw a certain type of physique, shape, size on yep. magazine covers. Yep. And I'm really interested to see how that's actually impacted our entire generation exactly. and how we can change it for future generations. So body image actually has four aspects to it. Ooh, tell me. You ready to get into it? I am. First of all, the way you see your body, so the way you think about your own body, is your perceptual body image. Yes. So this is not always a correct representation of how you actually look. It's so good to note that because how many times do you hear your best friends talk you up? Yeah. Your shape, your body, but in your own head, you're like, no, you guys are full of shit. You're lying to me. The voice inside my head is definitely accurate. So that's your perceptual body image, how you yourself see your own body. Then there's the way you feel about your body. So that is your affective body image. Okay. So give me an example of that. Feelings might include happiness, disgust, Mm. often summarized as the amount of satisfaction or dissatisfaction you feel about your shape, weight, and your individual body parts. So if you like hate your boobs, hate your butt, hate your saddlebags. Sure. Or you just like have a general dislike of how your, what your shape is. Would you agree that most people have insecurities about particular parts? I think this is such a spectrum. It is. It's so personal. And I think everybody's experience of body image can be very individual, but I think there's a lot we all go through that we probably don't talk about enough that we can sort of learn from each other. Next, the way you think about your body is your cognitive body image. And this is kind of a preoccupation with what your body gives you. Okay, so we'll come back to that. And then lastly, the fourth aspect of body image is the behaviors you engage in as a result of your body image are your behavioral body image. So this is when if you're dissatisfied with the way you look, you might isolate yourself or restrict certain things or employ unhealthy behaviors as a like mean disordered eating disordered eating or restriction to change mm. your appearance okay so there's four parts of this is your perceived take on what your body is like then there's your affective body image which is the feelings you have about that then there's your cognitive body image so what you think about your body's function and what it does and then there's your behavioral body image which is kind of how you treat your body in an active way in your life right So if you take all that, you can have a positive version of all of those things or you can have a negative version of all those things. Or you could could just aim for acceptance or what a lot of people call body neutrality. That's what we're all striving for. Well, are we? I don't know. Again, I think that's really, really personal. I'm happy to sit here on this podcast episode and say I'm striving towards body neutrality personally. Uh, I don't feel like I need to love my stretch marks or love my mum tum mm. or love my saggy boobs. Okay. I don't think I 
will ever come around to that. It doesn't feel authentic to me if uh, I'm like, yeah, I love my stretch mark. I don't. I don't like those additions to my body, but I can 100% appreciate that my body went through all of those things, all of these scars, battle wounds, in order to grow two little people who I'm so grateful for and I can't imagine my life without. So I thank my body for that. But this idea of body love, I'm a realist. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever achieve it. Yeah. But what I want to achieve is body neutrality where I'm not hating on myself yeah where you're just kind of like this is my body and it is what it is exactly yeah it doesn't feel enough for me yeah see for me it does but I'm interested to hear why it's not enough for you well I think because now we know the four aspects of body maybe we should talk about our own journeys with body image so we have very different experiences of this I went through puberty at 10 years old So I started getting a woman's body when I was 10. That's so young. It's really young. And what's really tough about that as well, Rev, sorry, I will let you find your flow into (laughs) your story, but I'm going to interject. But what I I feel sad for 10-year-old Revs. Yeah. Because most 10-year-olds don't have womanly figures. No. And it's almost the first time where you feel different, but you're wearing a different shape so it's so overt and obvious to the rest of the world it's not like you've matured mentally and Mm. you're like well I'll just act a bit immature to like fit in with the crew you can't hide your new shape yeah as a 10 year old and 10 is young yeah well I had c-cut boobs by the time I was 11 holy shit hairy legs bo all the things that happen with puberty all started happening to me around 10 or 11 years how old. old were you when you got your period 11. Oh, that is so young. Yeah, I might have even been 10, actually. It was somewhere between the end of 10 and start of 11. So when you go through puberty, your body changes, you get hips, you get more fat deposits, and you've got boobs. So it's lumps and bumps, right? I looked around, no one around me had these lumps and bumps. They were all straight up and down, beautiful in my mind, perfect little specimen gazelles frolicking around the playground. And I was like, I am a bridge troll. Like, I belong under a bridge. That breaks my heart. It breaks my heart too. And that was all sort of like happening in my direct field of reference. And then you look on TV, you look on the ads, you read magazines, you you look at the adults in your life, and they all seem to have it together too. And I remember watching like Neighbours or Home and Away or all those sort of shows and thinking like, how? How do they all look so comfortable and good? Like they just look so good. Their skin's clear. Their hair isn't greasy. They can wear any clothes they want. And to me, it just seemed impossible. So from pretty young, my perception, my effective body image and my cognitive body image were all negative. I was like, you are gross. You are not right. And it's harder for you. And when you're at that age, you know how as an adult, you wouldn't want to be caught dead wearing the same dress as someone else, say, at a wedding yeah. or at any function. Yeah. But when you're 10, I have very vivid memories of wanting to dress exactly the same as my friends. Yes. I remember... You just want to fit in. Exactly. And I remember from age 10 to age 15 where I would call on the landline, because <laughs> that's all it was back then, <laughs> before meeting up with a group of friends and asking my girlfriends, what are you wearing? And they'd be like, oh, I'm wearing a pink scrunchy skirt, you know, the one from Supre. Mm-hmm. And then I'm Always. wearing, oh yeah, and then I'm wearing my tank top and then I've got this cool Which hat. tank top, Jim? Yeah. From Perfection or Hound Dog? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> and we'd go out of our way to make sure we weren't the outlier. Yeah, you didn't want to be different. So for you to develop really early, prematurely, yeah. I'd say. yeah really sets you apart. And 10-year-old boys and girls, like my contemporaries, 
they didn't yet know how to be nice and people would just point it out to me all the time. Like I remember sitting in the line waiting for class to start, like, you know, the bell would ring and you line up. I was sitting in the line and this boy walked past me. Oh my God, she's got hairy legs already. Fuck, that's savage. And like, it just stays with you. And you're like, oh my God. Cause for a minute you can kind of think, oh, maybe no one's noticed. Mm. But then you're like, oh my God. Now I was 10, right? So my mom didn't want me to start grooming or shaving or waxing or any of that stuff yet because she, she was probably like, this is my baby. This is my firstborn, my little child. Like it's too early for her to be augmenting her body. Well, we know what it's like with parenthood. You're constantly keeping up with your kids. So no one's ever ready for their kid to progress to the next stage of life until they force it upon you. Exactly. So did you force it upon your mum? Did you go home and say, mummy, I've got hairy legs. Can can we do something about it? Um, I think I did, but it was just very much like, no, you're not ready. Like you're too young to start all that stuff. Mm. So here I am in my awkward body. And I worked out pretty quickly. It's not hard. It wasn't hard to get information about what can you do about it? Like, what can you change? It consumed me so much that it was an obsession. And I was like, I don't want to be like this. I want to be a skinny little girl. What are we talking about today? We're talking about healthy marriages in separate beds. Because on our regular show a few months ago now, Jem dropped that... That's her setup in her house, which I'll get her to repeat for you all now. And it broke the internet. It kind of did. It broke our corner of the internet. It sure did. Yeah. People wanted to know, what? Aren't you riddled with shame? Is your marriage fucked? Are you a ticking time bomb? How come you have so many bedrooms? But then also there were those people who came out of the woodwork who were first time self-confessed separate bed sleepers with their partners and they were pumped to be seen and you know what there is such a thing as healthy marriage in separate beds folks and look it's a larger topic isn't it because it's not just about the beds of course because nothing's ever just about anything there's always more when you scratch the surface so absolutely gem over to you babe look i'm gonna hit you with some facts some facts yeah straight off the bat she's a journalist you guys (laughs) As Rebs and I have mentioned before on this podcast, we are research-based now, (laughs) y'all. Hashtag, yes, we're a scientist. Hashtag, not doctors. Not doctors. But scientists, maybe. Journalists, kind (laughs) of. Not really. Not really. Don't think we are, but we're here to get into it now. Rebsy. Yeah. Did you know a survey? A survey. No, a survey. I know. I'm getting serious. <laughs> a survey must be legit because it's called be. a survey. Of course. Done in America mm-hmm. recently. Mm. What year? <laughs> Cite it. Cite your source. 2019. Okay. Pre-COVID. Yep. And I've got more to add to this pre-COVID versus post-COVID because it is relevant. But in 2019, pre-COVID, one in four married couples... Sleep in separate beds. One in four. It blew my mind. Yeah, that's a lot. That's right? a lot of couples. Yes, I was shook. Okay. All I right. thought surely like one in ten, but one in four. One in four. So it's happening under our noses, but no one is talking about it. No, absolutely not. So give us your give us the rundown on your set your setup. So let's rewind it back to when Iggy was born. So to set the scene, at this point we had two kids. So we know sleep is down the toilet. I had a newborn, a very restless, wakeful newborn. Mm -hmm. Wasn't used to that because Rafa was the unicorn baby. How old was Rafi? She was 20 months. (sighs) 
Two under two. Sweat. Genius or fools? <laughs> fools. <laughs> I reckon I've nailed it with two You've under two. You've nailed it. It'll be a genius soon, but you're still in the fool zone. Yes. So like every parent who introduces a sibling into the mix, your biggest fear is that your newborn will wake your firstborn. Mm-hmm. And Hubs and I also instantly agreed that we can't both be sleep deprived. No. Like one of us needs to be a functioning human in the world mm-hmm. and working. Mm-hmm. So we nominated him to mm-hmm. be that person. And I was the fall guy who would wake up with the baby multiple times a night doing round the clock feeding, blah, blah, blah. You know where this is it going. It makes sense. Like it's unfortunate, but if you're breastfeeding, it makes sense for it to be the woman yep. because you're up feeding anyway slash you'll wake anyway. Yep. It's our burden to bear. It's our burden to fucking bear. That's where bottle feeding is genius. Just got to say it because you can share the load. But yeah. I think mixed feeding is goals. Goals. I never oh, achieved it. I did. With no, Daddy. You did. I remember. Did. It was good. It was good. Anyway, you're still up in the night. And also, I don't know about you, but I had that like, I will wake anyway. Yep. Like even if he got up with the kids, I would still wake up and lie there awake. So there was really no point me not being the person getting up. Exactly. Yeah. So you were that, but you were the nominated upsy daisy. <laughs> I sure was upsy doozy, more mm-hmm. like. And I want to cite it right here, right now. Privilege. We have a spare bedroom. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Not everyone's afforded that, but yep. we have a spare bedroom. So another thing I have to preface before we dive into this is that I am an outrageously light sleeper. You are always have been. Yep. The tick of a clock <laughs> in another room will keep me awake. <laughs> That's how sensitive I am. Hubs. Deep sleeper, atomic bomb could go off. He might wake up, might roll over, might think, did something? No, I'm just going to. And he's a heavy snorer. It's a problematic combination. Mm -hmm. I think we can all agree. So like most couples went into separate bed sleeping with the intention that it was temporary. Yeah. But fuck me. (laughs) Or don't. (laughs) (laughs) It opened up a whole new world, Rose. Okay. A whole new world. So talk me through it. So when did you sit down and have a discussion or did it just kind of happen? This was the chat. Yeah. Well, we can't both be sleep deprived. Do you want to sleep in the spare? Yeah, that would help me out a lot. Okay. Night. Bye. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So not a big, it wasn't a big decision making moment. You didn't sit down and table it. No. Okay. All right. There was a necessary and important conversation that came later. Okay. Because what happens is you get adjusted to this life. Now I remember at four months old, we decided to move Iggy into his own room. Mm -hmm. Now, technically this would be the moment to bed share again Mm -hmm. because the baby's out He's not right by our heads, ready to wake us with mm-hmm. all his grunting or the grunting is muffled in another room. So interestingly, Hubs and I agreed that it was working out quite well. So let's just keep it up. I think we even tried one night to have him sleep back in and I was like, oh, hell no. I'm already being woken up by a baby. I don't need to be woken up by a man baby on top of this. Yes. Yeah, so talk, talk us through what it's like sleeping next to your husband if you, when you did. Do you know what it is that kills me the most? What? I almost wouldn't mind it if his snore was rhythmic, but it's the irregular measure. It's the it's the imperfect nature of his shut snore. Up. Isn't, isn't it no, perfectionist? Isn't it Enneagram it, three? You don't need to bring it back to that, Red. <laughs> it would drive anyone insane. It's okay. like this. Let me do an example. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> like, see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's maddening. It is. It's maddening because you can't even get in a rhythm when like fall off to sleep to it. Like a sound machine, it's like oh my god, Harvard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now fast forward next minute, mm-hmm. Iggy's one, mm-hmm. and we're like, do we want to share a bed? And we're both we both agreed. We're like, nah. But there's that small part of your brain that leans into the stigma, which is but but people who sleep in separate beds have something going on. Yeah. Under the surface of their marriage. Yeah. Shit ain't right. If people don't sleep in the separate beds, their marriage is cooked. Something's wrong. They're not connecting. Yep. Like they're not, they're not going to make it. Do we lack intimacy mm-hmm. because we're not cuddling at night? All those things. Then this shame that I felt, internal mm-hmm. guilt, that both Hubs and I felt mm-hmm. and experienced because we were like, oh, at some point we should. It's the should. The shoulds. It's the shoulds that are get you. They do. And it was reinforced with my own mum mm-hmm. saying, don't make a habit of that. Mm. Love a boomer slay. Yeah. Because this is the thing. <laughs> Let me get into my shame a little bit more. Mm. When people would come over, I would rush to the spare bedroom oh. to make sure the bed was made. To make it look like a spare room again. Correct. Mm. This was a very fleeting window of sure, time sure, sure. before I but decided. let's go there. The fu- no, but I did. Yeah. And it was like an unspoken thing where Hubs and I were like, were like we would never Quick, reference. hide our shame. Yeah, hide our shame. <laughs> Quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And with the reinforcement of don't make a habit of this, we agreed that we would put an end date on this. Mm-hmm. But... We were sleeping so much better separately. Yeah. And you know, as they say, sleep deprivation is a form of torture for yep. a reason, yep. which is why women are always on the brink of insanity with the lack of sleep. <laughs> and it causes friction in your everyday with your partner because your tolerance is low. You're snapdragony. You can't help it. You're so cooked and tired. Have you heard of the sleep race? No. What's the sleep so race? So this is just like a theory that went around my mother's group, which was like, you're fine if you fall asleep first yeah. and then he falls asleep and starts snoring. But if he falls asleep first and starts snoring, you've got no fucking hope. And then you're up. Not a chance in hell. And Hubs and I have very different sleep habits. Like Mm. he loves falling asleep to political podcasts. (laughs) No joke. I mean, that'll put you to sleep, all right. Hungy P. Whereas I like... <laughs> Laptop open. Laptop. I hate how watching much. Watching a show. Usually watching F1 highlights. Okay. I don't know. There's something about it that's. <laughs> yeah. No snoring, but you'll have an F1 soundtrack yeah, to com- lull you to it's sleep. It's the commentary. It's okay. like, and Max Verstappen has gone round the outside of Sergio Perez. You know, like it's that tone. Of no. Like, no. No. Can't relate. I don't know. I'm, I'm into it. Okay. It lulls me to sleep. Bum, 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 bum. We have our most exciting guest today. I'm going to cut our introduction short because I feel like we just want to get into it. Let's get into it. Most exciting. That's her. (laughs) That's her, everyone. Your very favourite bestie. The, the good mom. Hello, 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 hello. Also known as Claire. Mm, just Claire. <laughs> <laughs> With a million other nicknames, yes. let's be honest. This is very highly requested. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say you badger us to get the good mum on the mic. So we've heard you. We hear you. We're, we're, we're trying to deliver what you want, guys. What do you want? What do you want, DLs? And we've shared a question box and you guys filled it to the brim. <laughs> Holy moly. Terrifying. The good mum is terrifying. But you know what? Rebs and I know she's going to handle this like an absolute I don't know. boss. Just, we'll see. Just in case you're not up to date with what the good mum is, our good mum is. Let's just like Where the fill, hell have you been? Let's just fill <laughs> them in. Early days of the potty. Gem and I confess that 
you know, we're not capital M mums. We don't do parenting as a verb. We're not like, we love our children, obsessed with them, you could say. But like, we're not into parenting. We are what we call wallet mums. Yeah. Which is like, oh, fuck, I forgot the baby bag and my kids pissed themselves and oh, I haven't fed them lunch. Luckily, every group of of women usually has a good mum who has a nappy bag full of spare nappies and wipes and little cut up sandwiches and blueberries in a special container that's just made for blueberries and spare clothes in different sizes all the things she basically she's thought of it she's thought of it she's mary fucking poppins she's mary fucking poppins so interesting because my whole baby bag is gone now like i've moved through that stage yeah you're a new kind of good i'm a new kind of good mum we'll get get to that but like the wallet mums are like oh shit i just ran out of the house with a wallet my phone and the keys if you're lucky the keys (laughs) often forget those and turn up at the park just for the chats and the good mum always comes through so claire is our good mum in our group now this does extend beyond say a park hang as you said we're past that stage of life now it's now like hey i'm having this fucking issue with my kids snoring or what happens with sleep around this time or hey what do you do for school lunches or oh yeah i've sent you many a text (laughs) about oh my god i have to pack a lunchbox for rafa what do i put in it and she sent me a photo of what she packed her daughter that day amazing amazing i mean there's many things that we hit Claire up with that we could just Google. And when I say but we, I mean Jem. <laughs> <laughs> but is it quicker to text me than Google? I don't know. No. Or it's, <laughs> but, oh, whoa. Do you trust me more than Google? Hundy P, babe. That's a revelation I just had. Because you've probably Googled it already and read all the sources and come to the decision. Found the academic article that's cited. And do you know what? I will admit, I've now started texting the good mum saying, I promise I've already Googled this. Yeah, good. But I don't mind. I'm happy for you to text me any time. I never said it. Any time? Well, yes, any time. <laughs> and I will always get back in a prompt reply. Like she if, will. Particularly if Jem texts me in the middle of the day, I always read it straight away <laughs> because I always know there's a problem that needs yep. solving. Yes. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm very happy that Revs and I are here to share our good mum yes, with you <laughs> with guys. With people, yes. with our gorgeous bestie DLs. The Oracle. Happy to be here. Not well, an oracle. Definitely not an oracle. You gonna, babe, you're an oracle. Own it. She's not owning her no. title, but that's no. okay. We're going to lay you with a lot of questions, okay. which will prove your oracleness in how you respond. So we put up a question box on Instagram and you DLs. These are your questions for the good mum. Sounds like a political debate or something. I hope it goes that way. Let's get straight into it. Hit us, chummy. I'm going to lead with this one because I think it's a very important question. Good mum, how do you feel about being called... The good mum. Yes. Okay, this is an interesting one because I feel we sort of answered this a long, 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 long time ago when I was on the podcast originally, maybe a year ago or more. And back then I felt very uncomfortable with the title. Doesn't sit well because it sounds like a real pain in the ass. Like that mum that's like... Insufferable mum. Insufferable mum. Uh, I know everything yeah. and you don't know anything and I'm going to judge you. Hated that. I think as it's evolved, and you guys kindly assured me that's not why you call me that and that's not how, as more and more people have understood what it means to be the good mum, I sit more comfortably with it now. Oh. I'm flattered by the fact that you can come to me with questions and you think I have the answers whether or not I do or not. So, just, but the thing is, even if you don't have the answers, you're a very good sounding, sounding board, board, which is just a good friend, right? I, like yeah. you listen, you weigh it up, you like ask the right questions, you're very curious. This you is not a love on me shit. session. We don't need to do that. But I do enjoy <laughs> being a sounding board. I hate any 
connotation that's an insufferable know-it-all. Yeah. So but that we bit, now know that's not that's what the good yeah. mum is so, or any good mums no. within our DL community. And can I just quickly say, when you join our Facebook group, mm. we have a question that you have to answer in order to be accepted into the group, which is, are you a good mum and a wallet mum? Yeah. And do you know what I love is how many good mums own their title yeah, of that's good mum. But just I love like that. the classic yeah. OG good mum, they often feel the need to defend it. They're like, good mum, but, but you know, I wish but I was a wallet wine. <laughs> But I still love a wine. Good uh, mums are definitely allowed to love wine. And there are a few people who answer saying, I'm a little bit of column A and column B. I'm yeah. a good wallet mum. And I would I'm say that too. Mom. I do a lot of things that, you know, people might not think are traditional good mum things in terms of what I feed my kids, what I, you know, the way I parent. Yes, that you're not a homemade I'm not a balls. homemade bliss ball. You're a dino chicken. Chicken dinos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I feel... Does that answer your question? Yeah. I feel like you yeah. feel so, comfortable and with it. I also would like to add the further along the parenting journey I get, the more I actually enjoy being able to help those that are coming after me. Yeah. If I get the chance to. And well, if I'm invited it, to. You do it in such a good way as well, because you never school anyone, you're never smug in your approach. You're always look. Here's my experience. Take it or leave it. And that's what I love about you. Let's be honest. I love to give an opinion. So. You do. <laughs> it gives me permission. <laughs> Next question. All right. Here's a good one. Oh, no. I'm good mum. Like... How do you do it all? I don't. Yeah. Simple. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, full disclosure, at the moment in this season of my life, I work part-time. So I'm not like you guys that are trying to juggle a full-time job. I work part-time and I don't do it all. I do what I can when I can. Um, I feel like I've got a great balance of how much parenting I want to do and how much work I'd like to do. And your job really is part-time, isn't it? It's not like I get paid for three but I end up doing five. Like you can't really be on comms on your um, days off. It's changed lately. I'm doing some stuff from home and okay. picked up extra work because I felt like I had the capacity to do that now. My but kids are getting a bit older. But you're in the driving seat. I'm in the driving choosing seat. choosing to work at particular hours because what matters to you is a balance of how much time you spend with your children versus how much time you give of yourself to your job. 100%. And I think it's I'm very well aware of my balance. I'm at a stage in my life where I'm looking to lean into more work, but that is a choice that I will actively make. And I still, yeah, like anyone, I fight. It keeps me up at night yeah. worrying about how many hours I'm spending with my kids. I mean, I think I had a almost cried at you, Gem, about this just a few days ago about Ella's got two more years before school and I've got to spend the time at home with her because I'll regret it if I don't. But I also want to do this at work. And I, I have all the same issues that everyone else does, but I definitely don't do it all. I juggle it. And I have a very supportive husband who is an amazing dad who does a lot of parenting. Yeah, it's aggressive how good me. he is. So, yes, that's not, you know. I've got a lot of support. I love that it's cool now for dads to aspire to be a good dad. A good dad. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's a thing now. Yeah. Yeah. It's like not cool so to be a dad. Should be. It's not cool to be a dead shit dad. <laughs> not cool at all. So we had a lot of questions about hacks. Because yeah. as we've set up before, the good mum has all the hacks. She's got the Aldi hack. She's got the gym hack. She's got the swimming hack. She's got the bedtime hack. She's Look, got, we're going to get into we're the gonna hacks. Get into you've, you've asked for a lot of hacks and we've got lots coming in now. She is a hack. All right. <laughs> she sure is. Every, you know what's a hack? Having a good mum in your life. That's a hack. I think she meant she's a she's hack. A hack. <laughs> oh, as in a sham? Yeah. A sham. Oh, brutal. Yeah. Yeah. No, okay. Come. You're far from a sham, okay. my hit darling. Me, hit me, hit me. All right, good mum. First quesi on the hack front. Yeah. Give us your best toilet training hack. Ooh. Mm. 
Ooh, okay. I know it. Full disclosure, full disclosure, my two girls toilet train fairly easily. Mm-hmm. So I know I don't have a son, which I hear that can be harder. But my second daughter, Ella, pretty much toilet trained herself one day on Christmas Day. She was watching <laughs> double whammy hack here. One, she watched Coco Melon. Coco Melon is my hack. She saw the po- she saw the potty song over and over, asked me to pull out a potty, put herself on it, and that, that show her just, business. Did okay, her business okay. and that We're show paid off. We're for hacks, okay. not humble brags, no. right? <laughs> no, which no leads, one can do that in le- their own home. Which leads me to stage two. Okay. I thought we nailed it. I'm a beautiful mum that just nailed this. Yeah. No. Within a week or two, she was doing that thing that I my first didn't do that I'd seen other kids do where they start to hold in their poos, get really terrified of pooing. Rev's had this with Teddy, I mm-hmm. recall. The hack I have is because I had learned from other mums and seen that it can become a real issue and go on for months and I could see that her regular bowels were not opening. <laughs> this is really gross. <laughs> we're not opening regularly. Instantly, within a few days, I put a straight on mover coal. Very safe for kids. Oh. Again, you can speak to your doctor if you want. Not a doctor, not a pharmacist. Hashtag but very, not a doctor. <laughs> but I've spoken to many GPs. It's very safe. There's a kid's version of okay. Mubicol. It, it's not like a, a laxative? It's not. It's a stool softener. Uh, so it's not so a laxative per se. <laughs> and so basically what it is, because they start to hold it in, it then becomes really painful, Ooh. really hard, and the fear. And that what they need is just that first drop. Once they're, it, they're scared of the drop, right? They've <laughs> worn a nappy. It's smooshed for their whole life. Then they're scared of the, the poo dropping out into the toilet once you catch one drop out the fear can dissipate okay. or two so i put her on to move i gave her some mover and some juice for a few days poo becomes softer she can't help herself but when she's sitting there doing a wee one day a poo starts it to slide out slides on she out. does the big freak outs screams or whatever we look it in the toilet that wasn't so bad and we moved through that stage within a week or two quite clearly i Love didn't this. let the fear build up I'm very excited about today's episode. Are you? Yes. I'll be honest, I'm a little nervy. Oh, I've got that like weird pervy, fetishy, Mm. tell me everything about life Mm. and dating post-divorce. There we go, you guys. That's what we're going to be deep diving into today in this week's episode of DNM. Dating after divorce. Yep. Double D. (laughs) Double D, D DNM, dating after divorce. So I came across... An infograph. Love me an infograph. I said no one ever. <laughs> no one ever. I tried to say that with conviction and I caught my bullshit halfway through the sentence. Having worked in corporate comms for many a year, I've made many an infograph. I've come across many an infograph. I've seen infographs and been like, what the fuck is that trying to say? Anyway, the reason I have authority to speak on this topic is because I am in the process of getting divorced. I'm not officially divorced. That's happening any day now. But I separated from my husband 18 months ago and I am almost divorced. And I started dating, ooh, six months ago? Yeah, I'd say it was about six months ago. About six months ago. March-ish. Yeah, I felt ready to start dating now by felt ready felt ready is a very loose term and we will get to that because that comes up in said infograph but basically I don't know that many people at our age and stage who are separated or divorced I have like three friends Mm. I have found more because have you since yes because like any major life stage or process in life like becoming a mum you seek out people who are going through the same experience 
as a way of connecting, as finding a tribe, getting your witch's coven around you. And feeling seen. And feeling seen. Because admittedly, as your bestie, I've struggled from the sidelines with what to say, how to help, how to support. Yes. This new, huge, enormous chapter of your life. I remember the first time I opened, I think it was Bumble. Mm -hmm. That was the first app I went on and I showed you and we started scrolling and you looked like you were going to faint. Yeah. (laughs) Like you were just overwhelmed. I was like, a whole new world. Can I close my eyes? (laughs) I like didn't want to know about this. I was like, what the fuck is this world? Do you have to be a part of it, Bestie? I kind of want to preserve you and protect you from it. Yes. Well, You didn't. And you couldn't. I couldn't. (laughs) I couldn't. I had to let you explore, experiment. Yeah. Anyway, turns out there's a lot fucking to it. Many, many stages. I've only really dipped my toe probably Mm. at this stage. I've got friends who have been at it longer, who did it harder, who went faster, all the things. So what I thought I'd talk you through is this infograph. It's 24 steps for dating after divorce. Don't worry, we're not going to do all 24. We'll give you the abridged footnote version. But I just want to argue with this infograph because I think it's a crock of shit. So the number one tip on this, uh, let's call it article, is reflect on what went wrong the first time. Oof. Straight into the therapy. straight in. Yeah. Like, not like pick out a cute dress. Like, reflect on what went wrong in your life. Like, sure. Very lugubrious. Okay. (laughs) Yes, I got to use that word. Use it in a sentence. What's it mean again? Gloomy. Gloomy. Mm. It's quite gloomy. Look, there's something to it. You can't, and I've met a few people and been on a few first dates with people in the last six months that you realize they haven't reflected on what went wrong. Okay, but what does reflecting look like? Is it just acknowledging? Is it journaling? Is it seeing a therapist? Well, definitely. Like I think like all of the above. Yeah, I think it's definitely definitely some form of therapy, whether that's online therapy, talk therapy, in-person therapy, like an obsessive friend who'll obsess about everything with you. You need some kind of processing tool, an outlet. An outlet that's not just you like hating on your ex or feeling sorry for yourself because that is the thing like you do need to sort of own your part in what went wrong so that you don't I guess repeat the same mistakes Mm. also when you start dating after divorce often you're dating other divorce people yeah I was gonna ask you this is this a box you can tick in your search that you want to date fellow divorcees no and I've often thought there should be an app for parents, Mm. like a dating app for people with kids because it's so specific. And if you could have ticked a box of has kids, I would have ticked it. For sure. I have been on a few dates with people who haven't had kids. And for me, it's just a little bit of a disconnect because one, they might want kids and I'm not the girl for them. And two... They They don't don't get get your life. They don't get my life. And having to explain and bring some up to speed or worse, pretend I don't have kids to be cute and flirty. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Is not an energy I'm into. Okay. So before we get too far into this, Mm. let's go back to step one on the infograph. Yeah. Reflect on what went wrong the first time. I think you can smell it on someone else when they have unresolved stuff with their past relationship that maybe they've jumped on the apps too soon or they just want to get under someone to get over someone and you're like red flag Mm. I don't want to be your healer I don't want to make you feel better about your broken down marriage or also maybe you're not over them yet but 
Isn't there an argument to say that sometimes to start that healing process, you kind of need to dip your toe in, experiment, explore that side of yourself as a stepping stone towards healing and getting over and moving on? Yes, but that's quite selfish. For sure. Because if you're taking someone out on a date or going on a date with someone, you're saying, I'm open to a relationship with you. Like not in a big, intense way from date one, but that's what you're saying, right? With like, you're going out for a drink. I want to get to know you. I'm open to this. Whereas if if you're using that person to heal or get over or experiment, I mean, like you can have to be pretty upfront about that. But I guess I, I'm not assuming that people are consciously aware mm. because they're so deep in the hurt that they're like, okay, the antidote to this is to feel good. Yes. And having sex with someone or going on a date with someone who's interested in me and just sussing out my options mm. for a potential future partner. Mm-hmm. I feel, look, I agree that it's selfish, but I don't begrudge anyone who's unconsciously doing that. As Neither a, do I healing mechanism and I'll put my hand up and say I definitely did that myself but I think what this tip is about reflecting on what went wrong even though it's like it sounds very judgy to me and I don't like it I think there is something to owning your part in what broke down your old relationship Mm -hmm. so that you can sort of go into something new with a little bit of a like clear path of like I don't want to do those things again so just to bring up someone highly relatable Jennifer Aniston (laughs) she said that she takes ownership of a percentage of her breakdown with her marriage with Brad Pitt because she said you can't just be the victim where everything just happened to you she had to reflect on well what caused him to do Mm. x y and z and what was my role in that yeah like any good relationship takes two to tango every breakdown of relationship also takes two to tango hanji p and even though you know you might have been really wronged in your relationship or you might have been the person who left whatever the scenario is everybody has a role in that and i think you can smell out those people who don't take ownership yeah um if things just happen badly to them and honestly not sexy not attractive don't want to date them so tip number one there's something to it although it seems like a very judgy way to start And tip number two is let go of your anger. Like, I feel like it's kind of wrapped into one, you know, like it it does feel weird. I had a few moments getting ready for like my fifth and sixth app date where I was tired, you know, and I was like, is this really where I'm at in my Mm. life? I'm like about to be 40 and I'm just getting ready. Uh, No, (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm jumping in. I don't accept that. Can you can say I'm about to be 40 when you're 39, you're 30 fucking seven. All right. Cool your jets. All right. I'm late 30s. I'm putting on a face again. I'm trying a sexy outfit. I'm turning up to a place to meet a fucking stranger. Foundation's not cheap. Foundation's not cheap, as my mate Lucy Neville says. And you really get a bit tired after the the first one or two fun. You're like, oh, my God. It's novel. It's novel. And you're like, oh, I feel a bit cute. And like, oh, I'm getting dressed up and I'm going to meet someone. And there's potential and there's the hope and all that stuff. After like, for me, it was like three or four. I was like, this is not fun. This is exhausting. Is it a bit like interviewing for a job that feels like a full-time job? Yeah, it, it's, it does feel like a full-time job because if you're not going out on a – if you're like actively actually trying to meet someone mm. and you're on the apps, like you're on the apps in the, maybe the week during the night or whatever and you're scrolling, you're trying to get some vibe or have some banter with some people and the weekend comes around, you might have a date booked – 
And it's like, it is a constant thing you do every day. Mm. I know some people who like, when they first got onto the apps, like, right, let's do this. And treated it almost like you would a job and lined up three, four dates in a day. Like yeah. co- coffees, one after the other. Just I heard it's in. called a waterfall. Oh, yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah, where you book like an Arvo drinks date, like mm. a sunset cocktails, and then you have a dinner date and then you have an after dinner date. So oh three different God. dates. At night. But if the first date, so the sunset cocktails date goes well you cancel you cancel the other two Ooh, so you want to be the first one in the lineup not 100p. the after dinner drinks that sounds like a booty call it does yeah dls today we're going to dive into infertility mm. but we're going to do it with a twist we're not going to be focusing on my infertility journey or Rebs's infertility journey. We will skim the surfaces of each of those. But actually, today's going to be a very productive episode and one that I hope you'll find helpful. Yeah. Because if I'm honest, it's something that I wish I had access to back in the day. Mm. And we're going to be diving deep into how to support a friend going through infertility. Yes. Now, I've been both sides of this coin. I've been the supporter and then I've also been the person who needs support from friends. And believe it or not, there is a right or wrong way. Absolutely. To support your friend going through infertility. So we're going to get into the what to say, what not to say. Big one. Most importantly. And how to show up for them. Yeah. When to be there, when to step back. Yeah. And how to read your friend and ask for what they need from you. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, just like how I like to do everything, (laughs) I've got some dot points. Oh, my God. Should we just say before we get into it, babe? Yes. There is an episode of the podcast Mm -hmm. where we talk about our infertility journeys. Yes. So if you want like a like little catch up before you really get into it here with us today, we'll put that link in the show notes. But it's way back in the dark ages of 11th of May, 2021. Wow. The black and white days. Mm -hmm. And it's called When Your Bestie is Navigating Infertility. And you can listen to that and um, hear our personal journeys, which I'm sure we'll also get into today. But if you just want a little backstory, it's there for you. Well, let's give a top line backstory right now. Mm. Now, Revs and I both had different experiences of infertility. I'll do a quick summary of mine. So I had what's called unidentified infertility, which I found immensely frustrating Mm. because... If you don't know what the problem is, you can't fix it. You can't action it. You can't be productive. There's nothing to change. And as someone who is incredibly outcome driven, Mm. it really brought me to my knees, if Mm -hmm. I'm honest. And I felt like I was banging my head against a wall, trying a hundred million different things and not getting the results I hoped. I went down all sorts of paths. I did all the old wives tale things and then I did medical treatments. I did high cozy. And then ultimately I ended up doing what I call the stepping stone to IVF. It's called IUI, which is essentially turkey basting. Yep. But done by doctors. Done by doctors. It's like creating a more exact science in terms of the best, most optimal environment for that sperm to meet that egg. It's like the sperm get the bus. Correct. It's hitched a ride to the fallopian tube that science has made sure that ripe egg, which was also done on science's watch, is dropping. Correct. And it worked for us. Straight away. It did. First time. And it was what we needed to get pregnant. How long were you from trying to conceive? Did you end up at IUI? What was the journey? So it was nearly two years. So it was 22 months. Mm -hmm. And oof. Mm. 22 
sad months. Yeah. Yeah. 22 disappointments. 22 negative negative pregnancy tests. 22 months of hope and then disappointment. 22 times you've calculated the due date if you did fall pregnant that month. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. 22 times I've settled on the star sign of my child. Like the stupidest (laughs) shit. Yeah, yeah. But But it matters. It does at the time. And you do. At the time you really, really think about it. And every single month I look back at little gem full of hope. I was like, this is going to be the one. This is it. And it just wasn't. Mm. And I needed medical intervention. And thank goodness we have access to that. And Iggy? Iggy was a, hi, whoops, baby. Mm -hmm. I'm here. Hi, guys. (laughs) And that was kind of cool for us. Yeah. Uh, it was much sooner than we had planned. Mm-hmm. So Rafa was 12 months old when I fell pregnant with Iggy. Oh my God. Unexpectedly. But it was such, to me, I was overjoyed. I was yeah. actually thrilled because he was such a surprise gift. And I thought, wow, my body's learnt how to do this and it did it on its own. And I'm not going to for a second be sad about this mm. or anxious or stressed. It just is. It's been delivered to me and I'm just going to roll with the punches. Yeah. Awesome. Because when you go through that, like wanting, 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 trying, yearning, stress of trying to conceive and it not happening for you, your absolute fantasy is to just spontaneously fall pregnant. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can kind of see the good in that. Yes. But I was very measured going mm. into my second pregnancy or thinking about having a second child because it's funny because we're going to talk about this in depth but what people around you say Mm. I have learned to censor my feelings Mm. at this point but so many people around me said oh this will be classic gem like you had to go through fertility treatment to get Rafa and then you'll just fall pregnant naturally Mm. you just watch and I just thought ah how can you say that with such certainty Like, don't give me that false hope. Mm. And we're going to get into this, guys. Mm. But, Revzy, let's touch on you and your experience. In a way, similar, Mm. because Teddy, my second, was like, oh, we're pregnant. There you go. Like, weren't trying. Mm. Isla was two when we conceived Teddy, um, but we weren't trying and it was a bit of a, like, out of nowhere. But I never went back on birth control. So still two years to make a baby, if you, know, mm. if you think about it that way. Um, Isla, yeah, it was two and a bit years that we tried. It just wasn't happening. But our mine wasn't so unexplained. I have don't have a thyroid. Had my thyroid removed when I was 23 because I had Graves' disease. So I don't have that organ. And that organ is quite vital in terms of your endocrine system and your fertility because it sort of emits a – without getting all into the science, it basically secretes a hormone – that controls your ovulation, your cycles, and how all those organs come together. So I had polycystic ovaries as well. Mm, I remember this. And irregular cycles. So really, really polycystic. And irregular or irregular? Irregular. (laughs) Irregular. (laughs) Just to be clear. Not regular. I would sometimes have 65-day cycles. Wow. And then I would have a polycystic cycle and have like 34 eggs drop. Wild. So really heavy, really moody, really up and down cycles, which is not what you need when you're trying trying to make a baby not helpful not helpful sends you crazy and then they people want to put you on medication on top of that it's just a wild ride anyway had IVF booked at the two and a half year mark we decided to go on a holiday to just have like one last hurrah before kids it's pretty classic story I just stopped we stopped trying although I didn't really didn't really, you never stop trying once no. you decide you want a baby you're always I'm gonna stop trying you try and trick yourself which I'm sure we'll get into but did kind of stopped trying suddenly ate gluten again for the first time in 18 months drank a lot of alcohol like all the things you should do was in literally in a hot tub yep and conceived Isla which is not recommended not recommended by but doctors yet, here she came here she is so here she came in the came so it, uh, gross <laughs> 
So it kind of took two years per child. Yes. Which maybe was just the rhythm of, you know, the combination of me mm. and their dad. Who knows? So, yeah, a little bit of alchemy there to get my babies. But, I, yeah, I know the two-year journey very well. It's a lot. Yes. And it's funny because you do look to people around you as a hope story. And Revs was definitely my hope Mm -hmm. story. And because she conceived Isla on this holiday, I remember saying to Hubs, we need to book a holiday. Yeah. When I started to get to that point of like, it's not happening. It's not. Okay. We need, this is what worked for Revs. And this is the psychology of someone who is struggling to conceive is you are obsessed. Obsessed. You will try anything. You will fixate on everyone else's pregnancy story and then you try and emulate it and copy and paste it into your own life and hope it works for you as someone who has been very public about sharing my infertility journey I've had heaps of people ask me for my roadmap yeah but I constantly have to say there's no blueprint just because this worked for me and I'm very upfront about that because No one hates a smug bitch more who's like, you know what you need to do Mm -hmm. is X, Y, and Z. Yeah. It's the worst thing for anyone to hear who's struggling with infertility is someone who's so certain Mm. about how you can fix their problem. Yeah. Because it's sure to end in disappointment. Mm. And if on the odd percentage that it doesn't, great. But for the most part, it doesn't. It's the same. I can liken it to... When someone is 41 weeks pregnant and they just want this baby to come out, they want their waters to break, they want labor to activate organically. So they try all the things and then you have a million people around you suggesting It's got to be spicy things. curry. Have sex. Drink stairs. fucking tea. The raspberry leaf tea. The raspberry. Dude, I did it all. <laughs> it's, like, it's like if that really worked, they'd just give you a cup of raspberry leaf tea in the hospital, mm. you know, like it doesn't work. And I'm happy to say this from the top, whatever you suggest, whatever you recommend, I guarantee you, your friend has already Googled it, thought about it, maybe done it. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. So you you haven't got a unique idea. Yeah. No one's coming to you for support in like, what do I do? Unless they're like- Unless they overtly say say, that. What do I do? Verbatim. And then you have to be like, do you know about cycles? Yeah. (laughs) Do you know about ovulation? (laughs) If they don't know that part, maybe you can um, help them out. But anything beyond that, that's not what your job is. But don't you think it's a human condition Mm. to just want to volunteer information? People can't help themselves. And everyone knows someone who doesn't listen. Yeah. You know, you know those people in your life, everyone has one, I'm picturing mine, <laughs> where they wait to talk, oh, they don't listen. Yeah. Or they ask you a question because they want to answer uh-huh. it. Don't be that person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Refrain. Just stop yourself, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Like you need to have that self-awareness to go, hang on, did they ask for my opinion? If they didn't outright ask you, do not offer it. No. Just straight up don't. You know, I'd like some more of these kinds of conversations around how to support people through mm. X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Because we all know people who have had a multitude of experiences through life that you yourself have not experienced. And I enjoy hearing about it. Oh how to God. be better. Absolutely. A topic I'd love to talk about is how to support someone through grief. Yeah, me too. Because that is such a tricky thing to navigate when you haven't lost a close core person in your life and mm. someone close to you a dear friend does 
it's a treacherous space for saying the wrong thing. Yeah. And again, I've definitely put my foot in it. I've learned some things along the way, but maybe that's a conversation we'd like to open up. Yeah. DLs, let us know. Let us know what you'd like us to dive into here. Yeah, jump in the Facebook group and let us know what you'd love us to talk about on DNM. And yeah, how to support a friend navigating X. X. That could be a really good start. Mm. Like what do you want to what do you want to get into? And then maybe we can sort of crowdsource some resources Mm. and some tips from each other and share it with you guys i love this idea Mm. we love you best besties we love you take care bye